0: Hello, and welcome to the Conversations with Data podcast, where we bring you the most interesting discussions around data journalism. I'm your host, Tara Kelly, and today we'll be speaking with vaccinologist, Dr. Melvin Sanequez. He is a physician scientist specializing in infectious disease and global health and a medical director at Takeda, as well as a digital expert for the World Health Organization. This interview in no way represents the views of Takeda. He speaks to us about what the Delta and the Delta Plus variants mean for the world, along with the vaccine efficacy rates against these variants. He also opens up about boosters and the opportunities and challenges for mixing different vaccines to fight growing variants. Finally, he provides some useful feedback for journalists when reporting on vaccine research. Now, before we jump in with today's episode, remember that you can get the Conversations with Data podcast straight to your inbox by subscribing to our newsletter at datajournalism.com slash subscribe. Now let's take a listen to our conversation with Dr. Melvin Sanikas. Melvin Sanikas, welcome back to Conversations with Data.
1: Hi Tara, glad to be back.
0: Let's start out with, you know, what this Delta variant is. You're a vaccinologist. You probably know a lot about this. Like we're hearing about the Delta variant, but we're also hearing about the Delta plus variant. What are these and how are these different?
1: Okay. So um, Delta was designated as a variant of concern because of evidence of increased transmissibility. Um, the increase in the reproduction number or the R naught compared with the the alpha variant, which is the b one one seven, is estimated to be around fifty five percent. And um, as we've discussed previously, the R naught tells us how many people an infected person infects on average under the current conditions. So, given the increase in transmissibility, the delta variant is expected to rapidly outcompete other variants and become the dominant variant over the coming months. So Delta Plus is a sub-lineage of Delta. Uh, While it has not yet been designated as a variant of concern by either the WHO or the CDC, um, Indian health authorities are closely monitoring this uh, Delta Plus because it's been reported in 11 countries, while the Delta variant has been reported in over 98 countries now. And at the moment, it's not yet clear if this Delta plus carries additional risks or is associated with increased transmissibility, like the Delta variant,
0: are the symptoms any different from the Alpha variant?
1: Yeah, so um, researchers in the UK have reported a shift in symptoms that may be associated with uh, the Delta variant. Um, there's this application that's being used in the UK. Is it Zoe or something like that? And people who have downloaded this application, they've reported. Uh, Symptoms now like uh, headache, sore throat, runny nose, and fever, similar to what people may experience with a bad cold. And this is also similar to what doctors in the US have encountered um, so far. More physicians are seeing more upper respiratory complaints, such as congestion, runny nose, and headaches, which were not very common in in the previous versions of, of SARS CoV 2. So it's not yet clear why cold like symptoms are increasingly being reported or if there is a link, if any, to the Delta variant, but this is something we are closely following.
0: Right, and um, we're seeing an increase in cases with the Delta variant and the Delta Plus variant, it seems, across a number of countries, mainly in the UK right now, though, it's the Delta variant and Ireland as well, where I am right now. Um, I'm just curious, why is that if, for instance, in Ireland, half of adult populations are now double vaccinated?
1: We tend to, automatically think that this is because of the virus or the variant, right? But that's just one of the many reasons we should remember that respiratory viruses spread mainly between people who are in close contact with each other or through aerosols or droplets in closed spaces. And an infected person needs to bring the variant to another person and they don't do it on their own. So the countries that are seeing an increase in in cases have moved out of restrictions, even before they have fully vaccinated 50% of their population. And because of social mixing um, and mobility, uh, the number of gatherings have also increased. So we are expecting and we are now seeing an increase in cases. But what's important to see is the fact that the number of hospitalizations and deaths are not increasing as much as the number of cases, which is showing us that the vaccines are actually um, effectively taming COVID-19. The vaccines are removing COVID-19's ability to make people severely ill or to put them in hospitals or to kill them.
0: So if this new Delta variant more contagious and is it more dangerous,
1: It is more transmissible. We've seen a lot of data on that now. But uh, in terms of uh, the severity, more research is needed, I would say. But there are indications that the Delta variant may cause more severe disease. There was a study published in The Lancet in June, looking at the impact of the Delta variant in Scotland, where it had become the the dominant strain. And they found out that the risk of Hospitalization from COVID nineteen was roughly doubled for patients infected with Delta compared with people infected with the the Alpha variant, and also researchers in the UK uh, are seeing similar trends uh, in in terms of of the numbers of uh, patients showing, as we've discussed earlier, different symptoms. So um, it might be the case, but. I'm sure this is something that we will be seeing a clear picture in the next few months.
0: And I wonder, what can you tell us about the vaccine efficacy rates against these different variants, particularly the Delta variant, I'm thinking here, like AstraZeneca, Pfizer, Moderna, and also maybe the Chinese and the Russian vaccines? Like, Is there any data out there that we can sort of get an idea of?
1: This is the the million dollar question, I would say. <laughs> so the vaccines we have at the moment, they appear to offer good protection against the Delta variant, and most virologists, vaccinologists, and ID specialists agree that fully vaccinated individuals likely face little risk with with the Delta variant. So um, Moderna, Moderna, for example, they've announced last week that the vaccine that they have is effective against the Delta variant. Um, similarly, promising results have been found with both the Pfizer BioNTech and the AstraZeneca vaccine. In fact, an analysis released uh, in June by the Public Health England found that two doses of uh, the Pfizer vaccine uh, were 96% effective against hospitalization from the Delta variant, and two doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine were 92% effective. Um, and a previous analysis from the PHE also found that a single vaccine dose was less effective against symptomatic illness. So basically, the message here is that two doses are, are needed. In in Israel, where 57% now of the population is fully vaccinated, a recent spike in COVID-19 cases was reported with the Delta variant, um, including infections among vaccinated individuals. But this did not mirror an increase in hospitalizations and deaths. So this is something that's important, right? As for Sinovac, um, the vaccine still offers protection since none of those vaccinated in the, the Guangdong province where the first cases of the Delta variant were reported. None of those who were vaccinated developed severe symptoms. And all those severe cases in Guangdong were from unvaccinated people. So that's also a good thing. Um, Sputnik V, they released a press release um, last week saying that the vaccine is 90% effective against Delta. And this is slightly lower than the reported vaccine efficacy against the original version of SARS-CoV-2. So the the, the high-level message, I would say, is that vaccines work. Two doses work better than one. And the more people who get vaccinated, the better for everyone. Um, though there's likely not, not much cause for worry among people who are fully vaccinated, outbreaks can happen in places with low vaccination rates. And at the moment, most countries in the world have very low vaccination rates.
0: In terms of the naming of these variants, I noticed how at one point in the year, we were saying the UK variant, the Brazilian variant, the one in California, the the Indian variant, and then suddenly everything became Delta. So talk to us about how that happened and, and how the Greek alphabet kind of came in uh, to sort of name and identify these different variants?
1: So, so this was announced by the WHO in May. Um, they recommended using Greek letters to refer to variants. Um, for example, the UK variant is uh, Alpha, the South African variant is Beta, and the Indian variant is Delta. This was done to simplify discussions, but also to help remove some stigma from the names. If you If you remember... Before the Greek names uh, came about, we had all these different names from, for example, for Delta, we have this B16172, right? But this is the the pangolinage name, but we also have the Gisade name, which is G478K. And then we had the next train name, which is 21A. So this was causing a lot of confusion, all these different numbers, which refer to the same variant. So now it's just Delta. (laughs) But, you know, some of the experts are also saying what happens when you finish all these letters. Yeah because there will be more variants in the future and we we will probably finish all the letters, so.
0: Alpha, alpha? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. Or they could borrow from, I mean, look at what they do to name storms in the United States. They come up with women's names, but then that could also cause a problem. Yeah. Um, but yeah, interesting. Right, okay, good. I'm glad we clarified that. So one thing that came up when I had my vaccinations in the United States, when I was home for some essential travel, I might add, um, I had the Pfizer, and when I received the second shot, uh, the woman told me that they were going to get in touch with me about a booster. Explain to us what boosters are and why they matter, and how you actually adapt these, like to fit the current variant. Mm.
1: So vaccines protect us from dangerous pathogens, and once you have had your shot for a particular disease, you might think that you you're always safe from it, but that's not necessarily the case. For some diseases, you need another shot to build strong immunity. And for others, your protection wears over time. And some viruses change or mutate like the flu over time, making your vaccine less effective. For most vaccinations, you need an extra dose of the vaccine known as a booster to help your immune system remember the pathogen. For COVID, we still do not know whether we need booster shots, but it is possible that the the elderly or the immunocompromised um, People with comorbidities um, may need boosters in the future. Okay,
0: so people with immune responses that are not necessarily up to scratch,
1: so to speak. Yes, it it is possible. Um, But if the virus changed further, that totally uh, makes the, the vaccines useless, then we might all need boosters, but we're not yet at that point.
0: The concept of boosters, though, I mean, that is something that's done for other vaccines too,
1: right? Yeah, uh, it is uh, done for other vaccines. Uh, for tetanus, for example, you do that every ten years, um, and and for for flu, basically, what we're getting every year is some kind of a booster for the new strains that are circulating.
0: Now. The UK is expected to start rolling out their booster shots, they said in September. And I'm just curious, like, how easy are these to make? And are there ethical concerns around this? Shouldn't we be focusing on shipping vaccines and and making vaccines for poorer countries that haven't been vaccinated yet? I'm thinking Uganda, where people are, the country is being decimated by this
1: Yeah, I read about that to the health secretary of the UK, Sajid Chavid, and he he mentioned that the government is planning booster shots to ensure vulnerable people will be protected during the the northern hemisphere winter season. Um, But he also said that the advice was subject to change as more information became available about the ongoing efficacy of the vaccines. Definitely there is some ethical component to this, because the question is, um, should we be giving booster doses to people in rich countries when most people in poor countries have not even received their first dose? So yeah, I I agree with you, um, because the longer the virus is allowed to continue in a context of all these patchy immunity, where some countries have high level vaccination rates, where other countries have like 1% vaccination coverage, there is a greater chance of mutations in these countries that could potentially make the vaccines we have less effective or even ineffective.
0: It really um, brings it home. Like when I was in the United States, as I mentioned uh, in April and May, I found it very infuriating um, sitting next to people on a plane or meeting people for friends, you know, outside and, and then not wanting to get vaccinated it's really shocking this inequity that we have with vaccines. What countries do you think, in your opinion, are going to get vaccinated last? And what are some of the things that are holding them back?
1: So, so these are the countries in, in the Global South that you mentioned, and especially the countries that are, don't have the infrastructure or are still building the infrastructure of vaccination. So these are the countries that um, will not get the doses as soon as possible.
0: Right. And what about vaccinating
1: children? So the Pfizer-BioNTech mRNA vaccine was the first COVID vaccine approved for children aged 12 to 15 years of age in the U.S., EU, and many other countries. Moderna and Sinovac, they're not yet approved, but they also have some data. Um, The recommendation of WHO is that since children tend to experience mild disease symptoms compared to adults, they are not in urgent need for vaccinations unless they have pre-existing conditions. So again, it goes back to the ethical component that we discussed. Of course, parents want to protect their kids. That's understandable, right? But is it moral and ethical to vaccinate all the children in rich countries first before those with chronic medical conditions and healthcare workers and the older individuals in poorer countries who are most likely to get severe COVID and die? There is, of course, a case for vaccinating children, especially the ones with chronic conditions. And if there was a limited supply of vaccines, we could keep going with the over 12s and even younger, but there isn't. And in the end, it's actually a political and societal decision whether to prioritize kids in the developed world over adults dying elsewhere in the world.
0: Absolutely. I'm just curious if you've been following the EU digital certificate vaccine scheme that's kind of rolling out um, officially. I think it's in the Ireland, July 19th, but it's already rolled out elsewhere in Europe. What are your thoughts and concerns on this? and the effect of the so-called vaccine passport, if you will?
1: Well, I think in a way it, it makes life more convenient and it will make it easier for people to travel around the EU without the need for testing every time you attend an event or go inside a restaurant or fly from one city to another, right? And I do not think that this is a travel document because you will still need to carry a passport or another form of ID, right? However, I think this will have some impact on countries using vaccines that are not recognized by the certificate. People might hesitate getting the vaccines um, available to them locally if they think that the vaccines they have will not allow them to travel to the EU, for example. I mean, this is a valid concern, but at this point in, in the pandemic, I think our focus should be getting as many people as possible vaccinated with whatever vaccine is available in their city or area so that we can end this acute phase of the pandemic.
0: Yeah. It is particularly difficult for people like, for instance, a friend of a friend is moving here to Ireland. He's just been living in Dubai for the past couple of years, but he's had the Sinovac vaccine, which is not recognized in the EU. But I'm just curious, are there concerns around, say, this person, he's had the Sinovac vaccine. Now he's going to have the Pfizer or the J&J, the Janssen or the AstraZeneca is there any data out there on this, on people having both of those? Not mixing per se, like say you're fully vaccinated with Cinevac and then you're fully vaccinated with AstraZeneca or Pfizer. What are your concerns or thoughts on that?
1: Well, scientifically, there is no harm in doing that, although we've not really done this before um, with other vaccines, right? Especially now that we have different types of uh, vaccine modality. So we have inactivated vaccines, we have mRNA, we have the viral vector vaccines. So we haven't done this before, but it doesn't mean that it is harmful, right? Maybe we just need more data to see whether this is okay or not.
0: Governments are really trying to do their best to get people vaccinated. What do you think they can do to fight this misinformation around vaccine hesitancy, in your opinion?
1: Vaccine hesitancy is really associated with a lack of trust in governments. And where trust is higher, vaccine confidence at the country level tends to be higher as well. There are several ways governments can tackle misinformation to prevent vaccine hesitancy. I would say, number one, it's really important to have digital literacy. So the public should be equipped with digital literacy skills to help them recognize misinformation. Um, Number two, digital outreach should also be supplemented by community engagement. So well-known members of the community, um, they are more likely to be trusted because they have built deeper connections with people in the areas where they live, where they work, where they practice, Um, it will be useful to tap on these local health officials or um, influencers in the community to communicate accurate information. And number three, I would say private sector partnerships. The fight against misinformation requires the cooperation of another important group, right, the social media companies. Governments must acknowledge the role that the social media firms have in stopping the spread of misinformation, and governments should work with them to improve the online information environment.
0: Are there any trials underway that you know of um, looking at mixing these different vaccines to fight these variants?
1: Yeah, so uh, there's this study in Spain, it's called CombiVac-S. It showed that vaccinating people with both the Oxford AstraZeneca and um, Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccines produce a a potent immune response. Um, A similar study in the UK, it's called uh, COMCOV, which I think stands for combining COVID vaccines or something like that. They they analyzed combinations of the same two vaccines, and, and they found that people in the mix and match groups had higher immune responses, but also experienced higher rates of common vaccine-related side effects, such as fever, um, if you compare these uh, people to those who receive two doses of the same vaccine. And and so really giving people first and second doses of different vaccines makes sense, but we do not know what will happen if people need a third dose to prolong immunity. Um, Will it work as well? We're not sure. But this is already being done in in many countries. And in Germany, um, in fact, Chancellor Angela Merkel took Moderna after um, AstraZeneca as the first dose. So I think this is now more um, accepted because we have some scientific data to show that this is okay.
0: Right. And and you think more data will be underway and more, more studies looking at this?
1: It's especially with the different uh, kinds of vaccines being mixed, because at the moment we, we are seeing... Um, AstraZeneca and Pfizer, AstraZeneca and Moderna and the other way around. But we haven't seen, for example, AstraZeneca and Sputnik or um, Sinovac and Pfizer or something like that. I'm sure we will be seeing more data on these different mixes in the next couple of months. Mm-hmm.
0: And also, I imagine the length of time between these vaccines, the first and second doses of something else that is being looked at.
1: Yeah, um, they 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 typically also look at the different um, intervals, whether it's four weeks or five weeks or eight weeks. Um, and previous studies have shown that for the same type of vaccines, if you increase the interval, um, typically you get a better immune response. We might see this as well in the mix and match.
0: Right, absolutely. But you're, you're concerned maybe about the booster and what that would mean if if there was to be a booster.
1: Yeah, and, and, and the, the third dose. If you need a third dose, what would that be? Right. Okay.
0: And also, I'm wondering how long are these vaccines effective for? Do we have any data on that?
1: Yeah. So I think um, now we can say a year at least, because a lot of the patients, especially with the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines, that started their trials earlier last year, around June or July, we are now in June and July, a year from from that, right? And we are still seeing that these patients are still protected against COVID. So we can safely say a year. And typically for newer vaccines, you follow these people up. And then you can tell definitely after, let's say, 24 months, you say that, oh, this vaccine is good for 24 months. And then typically you do a modeling with the antibodies and you can predict how long that will be. But at the moment, we can safely say a year.
0: So how many vaccines have been made worldwide? Do we know yet how many we we have and how many we need?
1: Number of vaccines, um, the the last time I checked, there are around 11 or 12 different vaccines. And of these different vaccines, uh, seven of them have been approved by the WHO, and some of them have not submitted for for review and approval. Um, And uh, the last time I checked, which was just a few hours ago, I think 3.2 billion doses of vaccines have been administered globally, and 35 million doses are given each day. But again, I have to say this again, that only 1% of the people in low-income countries have received at least one dose. This is compared to different countries, which have already vaccinated more than half of their population with two doses.
0: And what is the World Health Organization doing on this
1: we have COVAX facility, which is a mechanism that's supposed to help make this vaccine inequity not happen. And they're trying their best, but um it's not up to them, right? Because if the the rich countries will not cooperate, well, well they are now, but if in the past they 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 really didn't. Um and that's why we are in this situation at the moment. But hopefully, now that the US has pledged to donate millions of doses and the other countries have done as well and i think all of the g7 countries have pledged to donate many doses it is possible that the, the speed of vaccination in the global south will will accelerate in the next couple of months
0: what can journalists do to report accurately on the on the situation with the vaccine rollout what are what are some of the blunders and mishaps even seeing
1: so, the one thing that I've been seeing a lot lately is uh, the kind of reporting which says, um, oh, 28 doctors uh, fully vaccinated in Indonesia dead, you know, something like that. Or um, I, I saw another article saying countries using Chinese vaccines um, continue to see cases of COVID. But these things are actually really a misrepresentation of what's happening, right? For example, you're saying that countries using COVID, Chinese COVID vaccines have cases, but you see COVID cases as well in the US and in Israel and in and, and the UK that are not using Chinese vaccines, right? And the other one saying that 20 plus Indonesian doctors fully vaccinated, dead. But this is 20 doctors. What is the den- denominator, right? The denominator is like 118,000. So if you really calculate, this is expected. You don't protect everyone from COVID anyway, right? We never said that COVID vaccines protect hundred percent against infection. And and then once a person is infected, there are other things involved, right? Um, is this person healthy? Does this person have chronic medical conditions? That's one part. And then you have um, the other component of the healthcare system. So if a person, if this person is infected and had serious disease, does this person have access to a good healthcare system or um is this person a doctor in a small town where he has no choice but to just work 72 hours straight you know things like this but these things are not presented clearly or if they are presented they're just like at the end of five paragraphs and people don't read up to the fifth paragraph right the the message that they get is just ah oh, chinese vaccines don't work because countries that are using chinese vaccines continue to see cases or Countries that are using um, Russian vaccines are seeing doctors dying. So this is for me the the biggest blunder that's happening in in COVID vaccine reporting in the last few weeks.
0: Absolutely. Um, And maybe it's better to not say the Chinese vaccine like I did earlier, it's better to say Sinovac or the Sputnik. Um, So we're not labeling things in a way like we were before. The UK variant, the Brazilian
1: variant, yeah, yeah. It's, it's similar to the variant in the vaccines. I mean, I, I, I guess it's it's okay to call it the Chinese vaccine because it's a Chinese vaccine, right? But then, again, it's not just reporting that. It's all the other political undertones that come with the message and the headlines.
0: And it, it capitalizes on the fear that's already there around, in the United States at least, the Chinese, the
1: Russians, and it contributes to that. Exactly. And you you don't see a report saying, oh, um, European vaccine used in so-and-so country um, and there are still COVID cases. You don't see that. Yeah,
0: no, no, no. And that's a fair point that we all need to be aware of. Um, And are there any other things that you've noticed lately? Journalists maybe not following the latest research in the Lancet or?
1: No, I, I think for the most part, journalists are Keeping themselves up to date with uh, whatever is out there, and and it is also good not to report on preprints because preprints are are useful, but they could change. So I, I remember in, in the last year, um, a lot of journalists were reporting preprints like they were real publication that has been peer reviewed, and I think now I don't see that a lot, which is a good thing.
0: And finally, I'm I'm just curious: Are we going to see more pandemics? After this, in your opinion,
1: so, so I, I I can safely say Tara that it's not a question of if, but a question of when uh, a pandemic will happen again. Hopefully, not in the next couple of years, um, but I, I think um, I hope we we all have learned lots of lessons from COVID. And I think those of us who, who live through this pandemic will certainly remember things yeah, until we die, I guess, much like the survivors of the 1918 flu pandemic, right? The question will be for the pen, for the next pandemic that will happen 100 years from now, will the future generation be better prepared? Uh, not sure about that. Hopefully, hopefully we don't forget.
0: Marvelous. Well, Melvin Sanecas, thank you again for joining us today on Conversations with
1: Data. Thank you very much, Tara. Stay safe.
0: A big thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in today. Want to hear more interesting discussions on data journalism? You can subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. You can also get the podcast straight to your inbox by subscribing to our Conversations with Data newsletter at datajournalism.com forward slash subscribe. I've been your host, Tara Kelly, and that's all for now. See you next time.